The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it's my honor to welcome Mr. Will Daniels. He is Senior Vice President of Operations and Organic Integrity with Earthbound Farm. And he's been there since 1999, where he is responsible for the company's food safety program, as well as food quality, organic integrity, and operations. He has been featured in national news stories on food safety and has spoken on food safety in the produce industry at meetings of the National Academy of Sciences, the National Restaurant Association, the Institute of Food Technologists, and the International Association for Food Protection. I heard Mr. Daniels speak at the Association of Healthcare Journalists meeting in Boston and thought that he was so good I had to bring him on Food Sleuth Radio. So welcome, Mr. Daniels. Thank you, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be here today. I was so interested in the topic that you brought to our conference, which had to do with the safety of leafy greens. And you wouldn't think that leafy greens would be a risky food, right? When you think about food safety and when you think about foodborne illness, most of the time we think about meat or E. coli related to baby poultry or beef. But we don't think about leafy greens until, was it 1996? when Earthbound Farm became the first to confront E. coli in spinach. Am I getting that right? No, actually it was 2006. Oh, 2006, okay. Uh, But produce has been implicated in in multiple uh, recalls and, and, and outbreaks going back to about 1996. Okay. So what happens? How does spinach or leafy greens, lettuce, become contaminated with E. coli? Well, that is really the big question. And what we found subsequent to the outbreak, we went through a internal investigation and uh, as well as a government investigation to really try and identify the cause of the contamination. And unfortunately, we did not find the cause. But to some degree, it, it turned out to be a, a benefit to us and the consumer because if we had actually found the cause, assuming that we were operating at industry best standards and, and that was proven by second and third party audits and, and benchmarking against our co- competitors through trade associations and task force and the like. Uh, so we really felt we were operating at industry best standards. And, and for this to happen, we really felt the need to, to change. If we had found the source, the likelihood of, of significant change would would have been minimal and we would have probably just gone to that and changed. So for example, let's say that the cause of the contamination was a tractor driver wearing a blue shirt on Tuesday, the only thing we would have changed in our program would be getting out there on Tuesday and kicking people off tractors with blue shirts. Mm -hmm. But because we didn't find the cause, it really forced us to reevaluate our entire process and, and come up with as many enhancements to our food safety program that was operating at industry best standards before and, and try and, and prevent not just 
E. coli O157 from getting on the spinach and, and uh, making consumers sick. But but look, let's look at a broader category of pathogens that make people sick. So what we did was we devised a program that really focuses on those organisms, which are E. coli O157H7 a broader category of E. coli called enterohemorrhagic E. coli. That was associated with this sprout outbreak in Europe year before last, and, and also salmonella. And so we devised a multi-hurdle approach to food safety that includes a lot of testing for these pathogens uh, throughout the system. So out in the field, for example, all of our inputs going into the field are, are tested for those pathogens before they're used. And inputs would be things like seed, water, soil amendments, even transplants get tested before they're put in the ground and, and have to have a negative result before they are planted or, or used in the field. And then after the product has been harvested, as the product comes to our, our processing facility where we wash and bag or put those lettuces into what we refer to as a clamshell, a rigid plastic container, they go through another testing program prior to processing. And then at the end, another testing program just to ensure that we are doing everything we can and, and providing as many hurdles along the way to prevent contaminated produce from actually making it to the consumer. Now, you're the largest grower of organic produce. Is that correct? That is correct. So I saw one statistic online. It said that you process 2.5 million pounds of leafy greens every week. Yes, we do. That is tremendous. It, it is. It is quite uh, quite an undertaking. Over the last 14 years that I've been with the organization, we have gone from a regional processor and distributor to a one that distributes nationwide and, and up into Canada and down into Mexico. We believe that it's a really great opportunity to do the right thing for the environment by converting acres that were farmed conventionally to to ground that is grown organically. And today we operate on about 25 to 30,000 land acres, which translates to about 50,000 crop acres annually. So have you ever done the math to look at how many pounds of pesticides and herbicides you're not using compared to a conventional grower? I have, and give me a second, and I will dig that information up for you. Because I'll tell you, that is what I find to be so remarkable. You know, sometimes I talk to people about organic, and I'm an organic advocate myself. I believe that it is the best. It's an agroecological method of farming that protects our groundwater and our soil and our children's health well into the future. And so I am an advocate for organic food and farming, but... Sometimes people get tripped up by the size of the farm, right? They say, well, you know, organic's gotten too big. And I heard Gary Hirschberg say this one time. He said, but just think about how many more acres we're not contaminating. So that's where that question came from. Yeah, you know, that, that's the really exciting thing for, for us at Earthbound Farm. We really think that we are doing the right thing for the environment and for the consumer by converting all these acres to to organic, and, and I do have some facts for you. In 2011, we avoided the use of 457,000 pounds of dangerous conventional pesticides, avoided the use of 13.6 million pounds of synthetic fertilizers. We've conserved 2.3 million gallons of petroleum by avoiding petroleum-based pesticides and fertilizers. 
And because of carbon sequestration that happens in organic fields, uh, it's the equivalent of taking 9,200 cars off the road. So I, I, I think that, that is a, those are really hard stats to argue with as far as protecting the environment. And the other misconception of, of a large operator like ourselves is that we are one big farm, and that's certainly not the case, and we're not just one farmer. In fact, we have over 200 farmers who support the Earthbound Farm brand and uh, ranches or farms uh, ranging from five acres up to 600 acres. So, you know, it is a, a, a collaborative effort to, to do what we do. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm glad to know about your working with individual farmers. And I would expect, much like a cooperative then, and correct me if I'm wrong, that many of the farmers, because of their their agreements with you, are better able to stay in farming. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, they're able to do what they do best and farm organically and produce delicious healthy crop for the environment and for the consumer and, and and able to leverage our brand and get the product out to the consumers in the mainstream marketplaces around the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the issues that I really wanted to focus on in our conversation was, of course, around the food safety issue around leafy greens. And one of the things that I hear smaller farmers say is their concern with, say, some of the regulations in the Food Safety Modernization Act where smaller farmers will be affected differently than larger farmers, and they are looking for something that is scale appropriate. And by working with a larger company, would you say that some of those challenges might be lessened for the individual farmer? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there are a few issues at play here. One is is resource constraints from the small grower. The, you know, they don't necessarily have food safety professionals on staff, and so it is a daunting task for them to work their way through, you know, 500 to 1,000 page document and identify what in that document is important to them and their operation. The second challenge is, or the yeah, doing a risk assessment and really identifying what is the risk of their particular operation. Earthbound Farm, we package uh, lettuce and and distribute it across the nation. That is a much greater risk and a and a different problem than a small grower who who might be growing a salad product that, that a consumer is going to wash and, and eat and consume with, within a few days, um, the risk is much different. So we are uh, strong advocates for risk-based assessment and, and mitigation around individuals' uh, operation and the products that they make. And to that end, we, we've been working with an organization out in Chicago called FamilyFarm.org mm-hmm. and helped to create a, a free website for small growers who don't have have the resources to create a food safety plan on their own. Uh, we've created this website uh, called onfarmfoodsafety.org that allows a grower to go through a series of questions and takes them through the, the specific nuances of their product and their and their process, and at the end creates a food safety plan for them provides reference information and reference forms that may need to get filled out for proper documentation. And the beautiful thing about this is we launched it in the winter of 
2010, and we have had a grower use it and pass a USDA inspection. So we are extremely excited that the tool works and are working on a Spanish version right now. Our hopes is that it could be applicable uh, really anywhere in the world and, and meet those audit requirements or standards. Yeah, and farmers, I think, are up against a, a challenge because, as you say, you, you get this huge packet of information that you've got to read and understand and apply. And then is every state different in terms of monitoring individual farms or county health departments? How does the monitoring work to ensure that the farmer is indeed practicing safe safe handling practices on their farm? Well, today, the federal authority on farm would be the USDA. And that being said, it's really driven down to the states to determine at what level they are going to monitor their, their growers and what their growers are doing. And, and you, you could even narrow it down a little bit further to the county and, and see different requirements there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act, which, uh, which is, is uh, there's some proposed rules out today, and one of them is about produce safety, will give a lot of that authority to the FDA, which, which is a, quite a change in landscape for everybody involved. And it's going to put a lot more pressure on growers in general, and especially those who are resource you know, challenged to, to meet those requirements. You know, just going through the proposed rule is a, a resource challenge <laughs> and, and financially might not be, you know, applicable to everybody. And then there's some, some things that, that might need to be changed on farm that are going to require more resources. And, and so there's, there's going to be some, some challenges ahead for the agricultural community with these new rules that are proposed. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mr. Will Daniels. He is the Senior Vice President of Operations and Organic Integrity with Earthbound Farm, and he is responsible for the company's food safety program, as well as food quality, organic integrity, and operations. And I heard Mr. Daniels speak in Boston recently at the Association of Healthcare Journalists meeting, and the food safety issues surrounding leafy greens were so important that I needed to bring you on. So, We've got these new regulations that are coming down, but there's a little problem with funding, right? So we've got a situation in Congress where there's been cutbacks. The states don't have any money. How is this really going to translate to the farm? Well, you're you're right. There's certainly a a little bit of a disconnect between legislation and regulation and and how the regulators are supposed to carry out what what the uh, legislators are asking them to do. When the Food Safety Modernization Act was enacted at the time, uh, one of the heads of the FDA uh, did a little analysis, assuming that they were going to be asked to visit every uh, FDA-registered facility uh, annually. Under the resources at the time, the, the, the people and the, and the funding they had, it would take 19 years for them to accomplish that task. You know, so there, there's, there's certainly a huge challenge ahead for the regulatory uh, agencies to go out and do this task. Um, but they are considering using 
using third parties, uh, accredited third parties, to do some of the work for them. And I, I'm hopeful that, that this can be implemented in a way uh, similar to what has happened uh, with the National Organic Program and that the USDA accredited third-party certifiers to go do, do the work for them. It's been a very successful program, and uh, I believe that it can, it can happen with the uh, – with, with the FDA and, and third-party uh, food safety auditors. But that being said, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the individual and, and, the, and the individual's company's integrity uh, to ensure that they are doing the right thing every day, that they're out in the field or in a processing facility, not just when the inspectors are there. That is really the key. So for Earthbound Farm, we go beyond a contract and third-party audit and really have a relationship with all of our suppliers to ensure that we have have that relationship and there's good collaboration and transparency through the supply chain so that we can make sure that we're delivering the consumer a healthy and safe product. You know, we like to say that uh, we're in the business of producing healthy food and, and healthy food shouldn't make people sick. Absolutely. And good food shouldn't have anything to hide. That's another caveat that I like to bring to audiences. I want to bring up this idea of third-party certification, because I tell consumers that, in my opinion, organic food has a safety advantage because of third-party certification. So I agree with you in terms of, you know, who's going to be going out to the farm and making sure that these practices are being followed. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, getting back to the food safety issues, per se, with regard to bacterial contamination. And in terms of fertilizing different crops, I also point out the advantages, the safety advantages of organic because organic growers are required to have this waiting time before they can apply, say, manure fertilizers, where a conventional farm doesn't have to have that set wait time. How would you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the National Organic Program was introduced in, in 2001, and here in California and, and in other states, there were regulations around organic uh, production in the field and, and manufacturing of products uh, well before that. Uh, the California Organic Food Act of 1990 uh, was one of the first. So um, for over you know two decades, uh, organic farmers have been going through annual uh, audits and inspections. And, and part of that are regulations around the use of compost or, or raw manure with uh, application intervals and requirements for producing compost that are, are aimed for, towards food safety uh, to improve the safety of that product. Uh, and, and the conventional uh, grower didn't have those regulations uh, up until about 2007, for leafy greens anyways, uh, but it's certainly not applied to to all growers on the conventional side, where the organic farmer has been going through these these type of audits for for several years now. Mm-hmm. Now, do most of your farmers use green manure, or where you're growing a green crop and turning it under to increase the fertilization? Yes, that's extremely important. We we believe it's it's very important to to feed the soil, not the plant, and so therefore part of the requirements in, in organic production under the National Organic Program is that, uh, you know, you are cultivating and treating your field in a way that uh, you are enriching the soil uh, content, uh, the nutrient content in that soil, 
year over year and not depleting the, the nutrient content. And part of that is proper crop rotation and, and using crops to provide nutrients to the soil. Yet one more reason why the organic product is better in my book. Let me, let me ask you about this level of oversight and who is overseeing food safety. You mentioned that with the new regulations, some of the responsibilities that had been in the USDA camp are now going to go to FDA. Would you like to see one organization overseeing food safety, or do you think that having multiple organizations in play works? Well, we have, you know, a relatively fit, safe food supply, um, but but I think that there's an opportunity to be much safer, and I, I can only imagine that things would be better if it were under one uh, authority. Um, having two authorities makes it very difficult for legislation to to reach uh, the, you know the broader uh, category of food, if you will. Uh, there's also uh, some compete competition for funding. Uh, around grants and things like that, and it certainly would be much easier for proper legislation, proper regulation, and proper funding of research uh, if there was one central authority for food safety. So I, I, I am a proponent in going in that direction. If you had a magic wand, you know, I'm sure you go out every day and you think, wow, I'd really like to change this or tweak that. What would you like to see happen to increase the, the safety of Leafy greens, produce, on-farm safety, all across the board. Well, you know, I think that there, this is with the, the introduction of the Food Safety Moderniz- Modernization Act. This is a really huge uh, opportunity for us to make an impact uh, for generations to come. Uh, I, I don't suspect that we'll have an opportunity to comment on rules around food safety, at least uh, in the rest of my lifetime. And, and so I think it's a really uh, important aspect for us to be focused on as industry, academia, and government to make sure that, that this, this goes right and we get the right regulation in place. But, but to talk to the broader uh, subject, you know, I think that Really, uh, we need to see uh, some somewhat of a paradigm shift from all all areas of, of food safety and food in general, and and so you know industry, academia, the non governmental organizations, and the and the government regulators and legislators, you know we need to find a way to have better collaboration, better transparency, better trust amongst. Uh, all all aspects of of food and food regulation. Um, once we can get to a place where we have that trust and transparency, uh, the information will flow in a much much faster rate, and we will be uh, able to identify proper research much much more quickly and implement things uh, that really will impact food safety uh, much much quickly more quickly as well. And and I see that as a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I hear about a recall, I think not only of the wasted food, but I also think about the wasted resources that went into that food. And, of course, being in, I think they call the Salinas Valley, the, the salad bowl of our country, you think of all the water resources and all of the, the elements that go into producing quality food all gone to waste because of contamination. And I think, gosh, you know, it's one of those one bad apples spoil the whole bunch. Has anybody been tabulating the full cost of some of these recalls? 
Boy, I don't know if if somebody's you know come up with the the full cost of it all, but but it is certainly a very expensive process. Uh, having gone through it ourselves, you know, I, I I'm I'm not prepared to give you a, a total dollar amount, but let's just say that it was uh, a lot of money. But when you uh, put that money against the the, the price of a, a life, um, mm-hmm. there, there's there's no there's not a, a amount of money that you can you can spend to make that up. Uh, so we feel that every dollar that is spent towards food safety and making our products safer and, and, and products safer for consumers in general is, is a dollar well spent. Um, you know, and, and speaking to the waste behind, uh, you know, throwing away a lot of wholesome products, you know, I think that it's really important that we start to identify uh, alternative uses, if you will, for for products that we might find contaminated. And, and so it's it's really important that we continue to explore ways to use these products in a safe way, of course, uh, but but uh, be able to utilize them uh, in a way that we can we can all benefit from. Yeah, what happened to all the spinach that was recalled? Did it go to the landfill? Did it get turned into compost? And was each store different? I mean, I remember here I am in, you know, one little community, and I remember seeing the packages piled up, you know, with the sign, do not consume. What generally happens, or is or is each situation different? Well, in, in the case uh, where the, you have uh, known contamination uh, with a pathogen, uh, the appropriate thing to do is to uh, send it to the landfill. That way you ensure that you're not reintroducing it into the food system and and not providing an opportunity further downstream for someone to consume that product when it shouldn't have been. You know, that being said, uh, I, I think that there are ways to, uh, you know, properly compost it, for example, and reintroduce it uh, where you can eliminate the, the pathogen hazard uh, before you reapply it to a field. And we're working on things like that because we feel it's it's really important to be able to utilize uh, that the, the resources that we put into it uh, to get to the very end and realize that it's it's not safe for human consumption doesn't mean that it's not safe for uh, further processing into uh, compost, for example. Right. We just have a minute left. Do you want to leave our listeners with any final comments? Well, I, I just would love to reiterate, uh, you know, how important uh, food safety is and, and to the health of our our society and, and making sure that, uh, you know, it's not just the grower's responsibility. It's not just uh, the manufacturer's uh, responsibility, but we believe that there's responsibility throughout the supply chain all the way to the consumer. Uh, you know, uh, we, we certainly aren't, uh, you know, saying that the consumer has all the responsibility, but, uh, you know, making sure that you're not cross-contaminating in your own home, uh, making sure that if you're purchasing refrigerated products that you get it to your refrigerator as quickly as possible. Um, you know, some very common uh, basic uh, food safety principles and good hygiene principles at the home certainly go a long way. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we see with the Food Safety Modernization Act a uh, a change in not just the growing community but also the uh, the 
the academia, academia and, and uh, industry as well uh, to really enhance our ability to focus in on what's important uh, for food safety and spend those dollars most uh, efficiently. Well, I want to thank you so much, Mr. Daniels, for being my guest. We've been speaking with Will Daniels. He is Senior Vice President of Operations and Organic Integrity with Earthbound Farm. And I want to reiterate also the website that you mentioned earlier. I imagine it's www.onfarmfoodsafety.org. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And if you want to learn more about Earthbound Farm and some of the work that they've done with regard to safe food, that would be www.ebfarm.com. In closing, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, listeners, for joining us, and thank you again, Mr. Daniels, for being my guest. Melinda, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 